Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. What's a simple way to increase the chance that you'll actually achieve your goals? Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome to the LeadX Show, where we help you to stand out and to get ahead. Before we get started today, I hope you'll remember to tell your friends about LeadX, your friends on Facebook, your colleagues at work, because we want to help more people. We want to build the LeadX family. And check out the upcoming free live webinars on leadx.org. Recently, Wendy Sachs showed us how to get more confidence. Dan Negroni taught us how to be a kick-ass boss. And yours truly did a webinar on extreme productivity. But you only knew about this if you were on leadx.org and signed up to get our upcoming events. Leadx.org. Today on the show, you're going to hear from a New York Times best-selling author. He's going to talk about how to finish our goals. You know, those January New Year's resolutions that we abandoned before February. He explains the problem with big, hairy, audacious goals, BHAGs. And this is a first. Our daily challenge is going to be to watch or listen to some stand-up comedy. And he even names the comic that he thinks we should watch. But first, let's do the career tip of the day. Be authentic. I had bombed again, this time speaking to 300 people. What was wrong? Didn't they know how successful I was? I was totally credible. I told them about the time I won an Inc. 500 award, the best place to work award in Pennsylvania, how I built my business from zero to $12 million in four years and sold it in a big exit. And let's not forget, hey man, I'm a hotshot New York Times bestselling author. But after 60 minutes, all I got was a golf clap. Then I discovered the hero's journey archetype. People want to learn from people they can relate to. People trust people who are willing to share their weaknesses, their failures. So I started my speeches by talking about my two big business failures. That's what I talked about first. Then I told them about how I was such a jerk boss once that an employee threatened to beat me up and he would have been right in doing so. I started telling my audience how I was demoted and how I just felt humiliated and just embarrassed about it. The audience leaned in. They started asking questions and they clapped loudly. Every now and then, I may have even gotten a standing ovation. Today at work, I tell people all the time, I don't know. In the office, when big ideas don't work out, usually I remind everyone, oh yeah, that was my bad idea. Don't hide who you truly are. Your past is not your future. You are not your mistakes. Everyone learns on an imperfect journey. Vulnerability leads to trust and trust leads to engagement. When your team members know it's okay to make mistakes and to share their mistakes, well, that fosters a culture of innovation. Today, be a little more authentic. Our guest today is an entrepreneur, speaker, and hilarious New York Times bestselling author of five books, including Start, Do Over, and his new book is Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. 
Our guest is John Acuff. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, it's almost, uh, I guess it is a tradition here on the LeadX show. I always start by asking everyone to share a story. I'm hoping you'll you'll share a story about a time when you failed and, and what you learned from it, because we want to learn from your failure too. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have plenty. Um, I guess a couple that come to mind, I would say if somebody said, what's, what's the biggest you know, career mistake you've made in the last 10 years, not focusing on email is a pretty big failure. Um, I kind of, like a lot of entrepreneurs, got caught up in social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they're sexy. And I, I've learned over the years that email matters more than all of those combined. So I'd say that's a general failure. A specific failure that I've had I did a book signing event next to um, John Maxwell, um, and John Maxwell sold millions of books, and there were zero people in my line and 200 <laughs> people in his line. And it was just one of those like humbling moments where you realize, I got a long way to go. Yeah, I thought you were going to take a turn there and say you learned how to like siphon off his crowd or something to get them into your line. Yeah. <laughs> like His people are very nice, but they are very clear, like, we like you in a blog way, not in a buy stuff. <laughs> So, and somebody came up to me behind me and I didn't know, patted me on the back and said, 10 more years, son, 10 more years. And I thought, well, that's not encouraging. Decade. Ugh. That's funny, but it's funny how quickly that decade uh, burns through too. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it adds up. It go, I mean, you know, they always say that with kids. I'd say the same thing with business or the same thing with being an entrepreneur. You know, I, I, my first kind of big blog was 2008. So I'm closing in at 10 years. That doesn't mean 10 years of, of speaking or 10 years of writing books, but it does mean 10 years of having a conversation online. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, before I let you off the hook on the, the email uh, failure and advice, so what are you finding are good ways to you know get some email addresses and establish that relationship uh, with your fans via email? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things. One is like a seasonal kind of challenge. So I love to do a summer challenge. You know, I found trying to get people to sign up for a general newsletter is almost impossible. You just, it's so general and so plain. So what I've done, the biggest thing I've done in the last six months, if you ask me, you know, biggest thing your business has done right. in the last six months, I identified audiences and needs, identified strengths I had, and where there was an overlap, I created a specific email list. So I said, hey, if you're a writer, so am I. I've got some ideas about writing. I'll share one a week, sign up for my writer's list. Oh, hey, if you're a public speaker, so am I. Hey, you're a parent, you're into health, you're in, you're an entrepreneur. And so I created five different lists. And it's really fun because essentially what you do is you say to your audience, hey, raise your hand if you like the color red. And then they raise their hand and you go, okay, I'm going to send you an idea about red once a week. And, and it's never too nerdy. Like I can nerd out about the intricacies of public speaking and know that they're going, yep, yep, that's what I like. Thanks for serving me. And so that's been, it's such a dumb, simple thing, but I, I, it took me years to get there. You must have uh, incredible open rates because again, they know this is all about red. It's not, you know, maybe about red or every other week about red. This is exactly what I'm interested in. Yeah. My traditional open rate is like 18%. On these lists, it's 50 to 70%. That's awesome. That's, that's a great uh, piece of advice. So John, your new book, your newest book is Finish. Give yourself the gift of done. So how did you come up with this? Why did you decide to write on this topic? Well, a few years ago, I released a book called Start that was about beginning your goals, getting you off the couch. I kind of believed what a lot of us believe, which is kind of the, you know, you hear quotes like, well, begun is half done. The hardest part of any journey is the first step. And so I thought if I can get just people to start, that'll help. But then what happened is over the years, people have come up to me and said, hey, 
no offense, I like your book, but I've never had a problem starting. How do I actually finish? And I realized I didn't have an answer, but I needed one because in my own life, I don't finish well. I, you know, it took me three years to do six days of P90X. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't finish books I read. I haven't finished diets. And, and statistically, according to the University of Scranton, 92% of New Year's resolutions fail. And so I saw a big need, both in my own life and the lives of other people. And so I said, let me figure this out. And that's kind of what started me on the journey. And um, I know you did you know, some original research on this topic with, with your own audience. I mean, what, what did you learn as you started to investigate it? Yeah, I wanted to get beyond kind of the traditional, I'm a guy on the internet, just trust what I say is true. <laughs> Most of the quote unquote expert advice that we see online is what's called narrative bias. And that I had a singular experience in my own life. I go review my past and come up with steps that I really didn't take but maybe you should take. And then I promise the same thing will happen to you. And I just think that's really soft advice. And so I commissioned a study with the University of Memphis um, and a researcher there. And we looked at nearly 900 people. Most studies are about 100 people, 150. So we went way beyond normal over six months as they worked on goals to see what really works. I'd say one of the biggest surprises is that small goals when you cut your goal in half are 63% more successful than big, crazy BHAGs. Wow, 63% more successful. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, when you're looking for a principle, you're looking for a 5% change, a 10% change. But the reality is, you know, when you say, it's kind of that, you know, take another point of logic. Um, uh, you know, aim for the star, aim for the moon, because even if you fail, you land amongst the stars. That's not how life works. Mm. People quit when they fail. They, the problem is we judge on a pass-fail scale. So if I want to lose 10 pounds and I lose eight, I failed by two and I give up. So the idea of having this crazy goal that's your main goal just cripples people from the beginning. I'm taking notes and a lot of things are rattling in my mind because, you know, I'm a big believer in the power of goals, but I also say they're dangerous because if you like say you set a big goal in one area of your life, like I did when I was in my 20s, all the other areas of your life are going to suffer if you don't have, you know, goals, you know, a well-balanced uh, uh, set. And I realized that I was breaking the BHAGs down into monthly, uh, quarterly goals like that. And uh, and yet you're right, like the narrative online is always, and probably I'm guilty of it, is like, oh, you got to set a big goal so that you're motivated to get out of bed, you know, in the morning and all the rest. But you're right, it, that gets us out of bed, but it doesn't make us finish all the way to the big goal. No, it, it really doesn't. And I mean, if you want to if you want to fail before you start, pick a goal that's too big. This happens like, let's use health again. Meet people, they go, I'm going to start running. Go, that's great. What are you going to do? They go, I'm going to run a marathon. And I'll go, well, <laughs> have you run a half marathon or like a 5K, even just a single K? And they go, no, I got to go for it. And then they give up. And so I'd much rather, I'm about you having a big goal. I mean, one of my big goals right now is to ride my, I got a road bike. I want to ride my bike 10,000 miles. And that, but that's not my main goal. My main smaller goal is a thousand miles before the year ends. So I break it down into small goals and win along the way and keep going. My goal, Kevin, is that you don't just dream and work on your goals in January, that you work on your goals in February and in March. And I asked a cashier once, when do people quit their goals? And she said, most people quit the third week of January. And I said, why? And she said, that's when they stop buying kale. And so <laughs> if you can win a little, you'll continue. I care about the second month more than the first, and I care about the third month more than the second. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, now, you also write about in, in your new book, you say that we have like rules that we don't even realize we have, like secret rules. What do you mean? Well, so a lot of us, 
you know, anytime you've seen somebody who can't get out of their way and maybe it's an employee, um, somebody you manage and it's like right as they get to the finish line, right as they get the boat in the harbor, they sink their own ship and they sabotage themselves. A lot of us bring secret agreements, secret rules into our, into the way we work. So for instance, I know a lot of people that struggle with success. They're ashamed of success. And some of the narrative in our country speaks to that. But I, I had, you know, dinner with a friend the other day that said, man, that CEO makes $20 million a year. How do you think he sleeps at night? And I wanted to say like probably on Hungarian down pillows. Like, <laughs> but he had, he had told himself, if you make more than a certain amount of money, you're, you're you know, evil, you're selfish, you can't do good. And that was a rule. So if he got too close to a certain amount of success, he would take the foot off the gas. Um, another secret rule people make is, I want to start a business, but I'll become a workaholic and I won't be there for my family. So I better not start the business. And you go, well, there's a lot of moms and dads who run businesses that aren't workaholics. It can be done. That's, that's a weird rule to bring into the conversation. So I think it's really important for you. You know, I had somebody in the book, a woman told me my secret rule is that being in shape is slutty. So to be out of shape is more humble. Oh, and wow. she said, oh, that's crazy. But you want to talk about rules, you know, a lot of them are inherited from our parents. You know, I had a friend whose mom used to tell him all the time when she saw nice houses, well, they must cheat. They must steal. The only way you'd be that successful is by doing something wrong. And finally he had to say, mom, I'm that successful and I don't do that. Like, where did you hear this rule? And so I think it's, that's the heart stuff. Like that chapter is going to be the one that catches people off guard. Yeah. Because they have to do some pretty serious work on themselves to really get to that. Like what are these limiting beliefs that are keeping them from that goal? Exactly. And, and the way I wrote the book was to deal with both the emotional and the practical. A lot of goal setting books act like your robot. And so they go, do these seven things and life will work this way. But that's not, that takes away emotion. And we're emotional people. I heard somebody say, if we were logical people in America, People Magazine wouldn't sell more than time. <laughs> when I was uh, young and, and dumb in my 20s, now I'm I'm wired to be a very analytical kind of driver guy. And so back then I thought everything like making the sale is all about the features and the benefits and my ROI is better than someone else's ROI. And, you know, a mentor said, hey, Kevin, you know, people actually decide, you know, emotionally, they just justify it with the logic. And I didn't believe it at first. And then in my 30s, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like a balance between logic and emotion. Now, you know, I turned 50 this year. John, I think it's 99% emotion. You know, that whether it's, you know, deciding to buy something or do something, it's just almost all emotion. Oh, I, can, I completely agree. And if you don't look at those, I mean, think about this. The study says 92% of resolutions fail every year, but we still keep doing them the same way because <laughs> we're emotional about it. So unless you kind of get in there and go, wait a second, what am I really doing? How am I really doing it? You're going to keep repeating that. Yeah. Now I want to shift gears a little bit. LeadX show is all about um, helping uh, new leaders, but really in my definition of leadership, John, it's very broad. Leadership is influence. So I say, you know, we're all leaders, really, whether we want to be or not, because we influence those who, who are around us. And I, and we talk a lot about career, you know, how do you stand out and get ahead? So I, you know, finishing your goals, finishing your projects is, is perfect. But when I was doing research for this interview, you know, I stumbled on a really interesting uh, quote that you gave. I think uh, I think it was in a blog post that you wrote and about your own career. And you said, uh, I'd spent 16 years traveling through corporate America, writing advertising for Home Depot, branding for Bose, marketing for Staples. I was laid off from one startup, fired from another, ran my own into the ground, and then found and left my dream job. So 
Now, this is years after you've written this, and you're obviously best-selling author, in-demand speaker, entrepreneur. So, you know, with that career, the crazy career arc you set up to where you are now, I think it gives you some unique perspective. So what advice would you give to a young professional who wants like an amazing career like you've had? Well, I mean, I think you, you be patient. Um, I think you surround yourself with people smarter than you that can speak the truth into your life. I think you accept that you're going to make some mistakes and you're going to fail some. You started off with that question, how do you, you know, right. what's, what's a recent failure? I think you accept that it's going to be embarrassing and awkward some too. You know, there's times where, you know, when you put yourself out there, that's what happens. Now, average never gets embarrassed <laughs> because average is really quiet. Nobody notices average. But the cost is you have to be average. So for me, it's worth doing something that might not work, might be embarrassing. Um, and, and the other thing is like figuring out what matters most. I, you know, I would go for the experience, not the income initially. Um, there was things I did that gave me better experience than the income because I felt like the income wasn't going to be worth as much as the experience. I mean, I, I spoke to Dave Ramsey's team three times for free each time. Now, some people would say, oh, you should have charged the money, but I needed that experience and it led to something much bigger than if I had tried to squabble over $300. So I think you kind of have to constantly be going. And the last thing I'd say is remember the old rules don't apply. Um, that's one of the things I try to teach my kids all the time. The old rules don't apply. It's, and, and it's just starting. Like to anybody who's young, I'd say, I meet people that go, oh, I missed my window with the internet. I think that's insane. The internet is a toddler barely begun. Like, I think there's so much runway, so much uh, opportunity left. John, on that last note, I, um, I think I'm a little older uh, than you. And I can remember being, you know, a, a kid and going into a bookstore with my father. And it was the dawn of the, the PC age. We just bought a TRS-80 from Radio Shack and we went into the bookstore and there was like one shelf about computers. And, and all, of course, it was pre, pre-internet. And then we went back, I went back with them. It was maybe six months later and it was uh, not just one shelf. It was the whole up and down (laughs) column now on computer books. And I can remember my dad said, wow, you know, I thought there'd be an opportunity here, but it looks like they've already figured it all out. (laughs) Like pre-internet. And, you know, it isn't quite in the area of, of like a secret rule, but it was, you know, in his mind and what he unwittingly had taught me at the time was like, oh, missed that opportunity. It's been all figured out in this weird computer stuff. And you're right. It's uh, it's the old rules don't apply. There's always opportunity. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, he had a definition of what was enough research or information. You know, if I, I mean, the average author, you know, we we have enough books. Like we've probably had enough books since like the 1800s. That doesn't mean you shouldn't write your book though. Right. Um, We don't have your book yet. Yeah, that's right. So John, speaking of new books, finish, give yourself the gift of done. What's the best way our listeners can uh, find out more about it and also keep track of uh, your work? Because I know they all want to get on one of those five lists at this point. Yeah, I mean, if you go to uh, Amazon, anywhere books are sold, you can pick up a copy of the book. Um, it's it's research based, but it's really really funny. I mean, there's there's a reason comedians like Jim Gaffigan endorse my books. It's because they're they're humorous. Um, my niche is to write with humor um, in a fairly unfunny topic, which is business leadership. Um, and then if you want to sign up for any of my stuff, I'm just acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot me. Um, and John Acuff at Twitter, J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F. It's probably the easiest way. 
Now, you, uh, I'm, I'm going to hit you with a bonus question because you walked right into it. You're right. Like for, for any of the LeadX listeners who, who aren't yet familiar with your work, what stands out about your work, John, for years and years now is you're freaking funny. And it makes me annoyed because I'm not as funny as you with my business writing. And so you're funny on your social media. I encourage everybody to follow you on social media, your emails and your books. And a question I really did want to ask is like, did you study like comedy or comedic writing? Like, or is this sort of a natural thing? Well, I mean, I benefited from having a dad who's funny. My dad's <laughs> funny. I'm not the funniest one in my family. My youngest brother, Bennett, is. He's a lawyer. Um, my dad, when I was in high school, would take me to comedy clubs. Um, and we'd watch folks like Brian Regan. Um, and so it was a value I grew up with. Like, it was something that was important and fun in our house. And then I always tell people, for every one business speaker I watch, I watch 100 comedians. Because mm. the best comedians, they're not doing slapstick. They're doing social commentary that they frame with humor. So whether it's Louis C.K. or Chris Rock or Gary Goleman or Bill Burr, Nate Bargatze, there's people saying really funny things that are true. Like most comedy has an element of truth to it. Right. Um, so for me, and then I recognize it as a niche. Like the reality is I'll never be as good as, at research as Jim Collins. Like I'll mm. never be as detailed as Tim Ferriss. I'll probably never be as innovative as Seth Godin. But those guys won't be as funny as me either. Like nobody's ever said like, oh, man, Jim Collins is hilarious. Um, he's got a great dry sense of humor, but it's not what he leans on because it's not who he is. And so I kind of I would say I was always naturally that way. And then I would say once I started to work in this space and realized it is crowded, like there's a lot of people. Um, how do I stand out? Well, here's something I always tell people, like find something that people need find something that's missing and find something you enjoy doing. So I enjoy doing it. Um, they need it. Like people need to laugh right now. Right. Like good. If we're so like go on social media for like 10 minutes, you'll hate your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's missing if there's not a, and not only is it missing, the bar is pretty low. There's a lot of unfunny people, you know, poor speakers that feel like they have to open with a joke and like come up and read you a joke practically from it's like horrible. a bill joke book. And you're like, this is the worst. So what's your process when it comes to writing? Like when you wrote finish, do you sort of write a first draft and then do a second pass where it's like, how can I make this funnier or it just kind of comes out in the draft? Yeah, it, it really depends. Um, I'll like, I'll write the draft and there'll be humor, but then I might amplify something. So I think the funniest, one of the funniest things I've ever written is the story about buying a new computer at a Mac store. So like I took what was honest thoughts, like it does honestly intimidate me because of things like they remove the register. Like I didn't need them to do that. Like I don't know where to give money anymore. Like you just have to find like a guy in a jewel tone shirt who's named a genius and has a hip register on. And like that's confusing to me. And then like you have to decide what things to transfer or not. Like you're making choices about like I don't need those photos next to a store that's next to the Orange Julius. Like that's intimidating. And so I wrote, I'll, I'll do like a, I'll do like a rant of that, but then I might add 50% more, like just go over the top. And then I'll also go, same with speeches. I'll say, man, this section is really heavy. It needs some levity. It needs to kind of release the tension. Where's there a joke that can release the tension? So I kind of go through like that. I wouldn't say though, like with movie scripts, they hire comedians to punch them up. I don't do that per se, but I do kind of go in and say, this could go harder. This could be funnier. There's a joke in here. Where's the joke at? Like, 
I kind of think through it that way. Um, and if it makes me laugh, then I think like it'll probably make other people laugh. Um, and that's my type of humor. But yeah, I just, you know, I, I liked, I grew up on Seinfeld. I grew up on observational humor, you know, and I think a lot of my audience did too. That's great. And um, Leadex family, you know, we always talk about trying to get a little bit better every single day. And we try to do that with a with a daily challenge. And uh, I, I, I'm tempted to say, uh, you know, go <laughs> go watch Louis C.K. on Netflix as the daily challenge. Well, Did- if you said Gary Goleman, like a good uh, a good kind of clean, you're not going to be easily offended. Like if you want to start, I think a good place to start is the guy's name is Gary Goldman, G-U-L-M-A-N. Um, and he has a CD or, you know, a, a comedy album, really, even though album, gosh, that sounds so old fashioned. Like, <laughs> like he has a cassette tape, um, but he has a comedy album called In This Economy. And it's brilliant and it's absolutely perfect. And so that's a great you know, because some of Louis' stuff is super dark. He goes, yeah, he goes there. I'm talking about, you know, social commentary. That's what makes him great, but he's not for everybody. No, he's not for everybody, but somebody who I think is brilliant. And when I say, like, people sometimes hear the word clean and they think cheesy or boring. Like, Gary's one of the best comedians on the planet. He just chooses not to go to certain subjects, and I think he's genius. So Gary Goleman, the album is In This Economy, it would be a great listen. That's that's going to be our uh, our daily challenge then. And you know, before we went uh, on the air here, John, we were talking about uh, James Altucher, and and uh, I know you know this is the year he's challenged himself, and he's doing stand up as a way. You know, he doesn't dream to become a professional comedian, stand up comedian, um, but he knows it's it's a challenge that's making him better in other areas of his life. Uh, Dory Clark as a, another friend and author who just recently started doing stand up. Have you actually done stand up ever yourself? No, I mean, I've, uh, I've had friends that want to do it with me. Um, and I have like, I definitely have enough bits that I could do 10 solid minutes. Probably I couldn't do a special by any means. Yeah. No, I haven't. I guess part of me, I mean, I'm honestly intimidated by it. Um, I mean, you know, most of, you know, I'll, I'll do a bunch of huge events, but at none of them do I get heckled by drunk people. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I'd I'd be lying. The only reason I haven't done it is I'm intimidated. Like we have an open mic night here. Um, I know I could do it. Like the other thing is like, I know I could fill the place like because of social media, like, and I've had some friends be like, well, that wouldn't count, but that's the dumbest (laughs) thing ever. Like if I have an audit, like I have what every comedian would kill for 300,000 followers. Like I, of course I would use that. That's like, uh, what doesn't count. That's a good way to ruin your goals is to have a bunch of arbitrary rules that are just dumb. Well, and to that specific point, I mean, it was fascinating. In a recent All Toucher show, he said that the exact same set would get laughs one night and then a week later, no laughs. Exactly. Same word for word and everything. And he wasn't sure what was going on. And he finally figured out that when the people laughed, he had one or two friends in the audience that had come to see him. And he's guessing that they like started the laughter or let everybody know it was okay to laugh at his, you know, uh, jokes or something. And so, yeah, I think the more you can invite your social media fans and friends in, Hey, go for it. But, uh, it's just a fascinating topic to me. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I would totally, you know, fill the crowd and I'd have fun with it. I mean, again, like it's just so, I don't know. It'd be like, if you were going to start running and you own nice running shoes and you're like, you have to run barefooted or it doesn't count. You'd be like, well, that's stupid and unnecessarily painful. And no, like if I can afford running shoes, 
I'm going to wear them. And yeah, it's, it's just fascinating the rules we make, but yeah, I'll, I'm sure I'll do it at some point. I don't think it's this fall cause I'm doing a tour, but I'll do it at some point. Sounds great. John, good luck with the book and thanks for coming on to the LeadX show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Friends, before we go, remember, at LeadX, we're on a mission to give free leadership training and professional development to everyone, anywhere, at any time. Visit leadx.org to check out our upcoming webinars and online training events and subscribe to our newsletter to be notified of new offerings. And please take one minute to go to leadx.org slash subscribe to subscribe and leave a rating on iTunes because we're at 227 reviews as of this moment and I need to get to 300. Just in the last week, we've had awesome five-star ratings from Garth, Trish Way, Die in AZ, TriGuru, Indigo Cole, Elsie Flores, and so many others. Please join them, leadx.org slash subscribe. Until next time, remember, your family, your team at work, your community, we all need you to lead with intent. How will you lead today?